Hey, I'm Brent Faulkner. This is Walk On, a podcast to help you take your next step as you walk out your faith in Christ. My boys have one of those uh, chattering teeth wind-up toys. You know the one that's it's just a giant mouth with legs, and you wind it up, and it hops along the table chattering its teeth? Well, I was watching that the other day, and it got me thinking about prayer, in particular the, the way that we pray. Just like those chattering teeth, there's a lot of prayers being offered. A, a Pew Research survey found that 71% of Americans pray at least once a week. And if you're like me... When you pray, you bring a long list of requests that you just kind of rattle off to God. Chattering teeth, rattling off a list. So that got me thinking, what's the purpose of prayer? Is, Is there a right way or a wrong way to do it? What's the motivation behind my prayers and the things that I present to God? Well, these questions about prayer aren't anything new. In fact, there's another wind up mechanism that historians think was created to address some of these same issues about prayer. It's in the Smithsonian, and it's a wind-up robotic monk. You know, just like those little wind-up toys that I was talking about, but this one is way more complex. It's a monk complete with the cloak, holding a cross and a rosary, and after being wound up, this monk will walk in a square, its head turns, its eyes move, Its mouth opens and closes, and it performs different acts of devotion. It beats its chest in a penitent manner. It lifts a cross and rosary in the air. And then every once in a while, it pulls the cross up to its mouth and kisses it. It's it's quite an interesting piece of machinery. But what makes it most interesting is its age and its origin. It was commissioned by King Philip II of Spain in 1560, In fact, it's one of the earliest known mechanical automatons. And the legend goes that King Philip had the monk made in response to a deal that he struck with God. His son was deathly ill, and he prayed that if God would provide a miracle to heal his sick son, then he would provide a miracle for God. The story goes that his son got better, and then King Philip commissioned a clockmaker to create this robotic monk. And historians have a couple of theories about the purpose of the monk. One is that they believe this monk serves as a teaching tool for 16th century Catholics that models the perfect actions that they believed were needed to pray to God. So if you would watch the monk, you would repeat his actions, you would perform the perfect prayer, thus ensuring God's favor is on you. The other theory is that King Philip viewed this as some kind of a prayer machine that uh, continually offered prayers up and devotion to God on his behalf. So in other words, you just wind it up and let it go, and it prays for you. So you can get on with other business and not spend all your precious time in prayer. And so I, I wonder if many of us hold maybe similar views of prayer today. We don't even realize. I, I wonder if many of us hold a view of prayer today that is perhaps more magical than it is biblical. I mean, think about it. Magic, at its core, it's, it's about reciting the right words or the right incantation in a right way to manipulate the environment around you. It's about saying the right things and hoping that the, this outcome that you want to happen will, will happen because of the way that you say it. 
In high school, I was on the swim team, and before every meet, we would circle up and recite the Lord's Prayer. You know, the one that goes, Our Father, who art in heaven. Now, as we were saying this, I don't know what was going on in the minds of other people, but in my high school mind, the reason that we were saying this prayer was so that we could earn God's favor and that he would let us win the swim meet. And it never occurred to me what might happen if the other team was praying the same prayer too. But for me, that was the motivation. It was more about magic. It was about saying these words in the right way to get an outcome that I wanted. Well, so the question is then, what, what is the biblical understanding of prayer? What's prayer all about? Well, Jesus gives us some teaching about prayer in Matthew chapter 6. And in it, as he talks, he addresses the motivation behind prayer. He addresses a common misconception of that time about prayer. And then he gives us a model for our prayers. When he starts his teaching about prayer, he says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we shouldn't ever pray publicly. You know, it's good to pray at church and together when we gather in our groups or before a meal as a family. What he's talking about is the motivation behind our prayers. And so in this section, Jesus was calling out the religious leaders whose religious acts were for show to impress others and to impose their piety on others. And the beauty of what Jesus is saying here is he's saying that there is a personal and private element to prayer. Keep this personal element in mind because it shapes the motivation of why we pray. And then he continues on in his teaching. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So again, here he is addressing a misconception about prayer in that day and one that I think still exists for many of us today. Right? We think that we have to say our words in a right way or if we um, show a certain view of, of what we say and how we say it, we'll get God's attention and then he'll answer them. It's a view of prayer that's more transactional. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not that at all. No, it's, it's about a relationship that your father knows you and he knows exactly what you need before you even come to him to ask. It doesn't matter how you say it or how many times you say it. God already knows what you need before you ask. And so the question is, why do we even need to pray in the first place? My son asked the same question a couple of years ago. As a family, we pray together before we put the kids to bed. And one night he said, I don't want to pray. And we said, well, well Why? He said, well, why, sh- why should I pray? God already knows what I'm going to say, so I don't need to say it. Which, I guess, on a certain level, makes some logical sense. I think we get some insight as to why we're called to pray, even when God knows what we need before we come to him. Because Jesus continues his teaching, and he gives us the Lord's Prayer as a model in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I think the words that Jesus tells us to pray as a model in the Lord's prayer aren't for God's ears, but are instead meant for our ears and our minds and our hearts. 
I think the Lord's Prayer is less about what or how we are to say something and more about reminding us the realities of the kingdom of God. Because remember, just before this, Jesus said that we shouldn't think our prayers will be answered just by repeating words over and over and that God already knows what we need before we pray. And so the Lord's Prayer is a reminder to us. I mean, think about this as we walk through these phrases. They're packed with meaning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Or some translations say, may your name be kept holy. See, holy is, is a word in the Bible that is used that, that means to be separate or set apart or totally other. And it's used to describe God because God is so far above his creation. He's so far beyond and, and different and other from us. That, that holiness and holy has this idea of, of a, a weight of glory. And the other interesting thing about in the Bible is when things are mentioned multiple times in a row, it adds importance, which is why Jesus, when he, sometimes when he teaches, he'll, he'll say verily, verily, or truly, truly. He's trying to get people's attention saying, hey, this is important, what I'm about to say. Well, in Scripture, the only attribute of God that is mentioned three times in a row is his attribute of being holy. Holy, holy, holy. We see it in Isaiah chapter 6 when he gets this glimpse of God and the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy. We see it again in Revelation when John gets this glimpse of heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The only attribute of God that is mentioned in Scripture three times. It's off the chart important. So we're reminded that God's name is to be kept holy, that he is separate, he is other from us. But in that same phrase, Jesus is reminding us of this beautiful dichotomy that yes, God is so far above us and so far separate from us and he is holy, but at the very same time, he is our father, our father in heaven. And it's this beautiful dichotomy that God is totally other, but yet at the same time, he can be intimately known. And I think it's no coincidence that Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer off with the phrase, Our Father. Because that sets the tone for the whole intent and heart behind prayer. That prayer is about connecting relationally to our Heavenly Father. And then Jesus continues on the next phrase. He says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if I'm honest so many of my prayers are really about asking God to do my will. I bring a long list of needs and requests, and I'm asking God to do this and to do that. But here in the Lord's Prayer, we see Jesus reminding us of the opposite, that it's about your will. It's about God's will being done, God's kingdom coming. And it's about our role in fulfilling God's kingdom it's about saying, God, what do you want me to do to further your will here and now on earth as it is in heaven? It's about bringing God's kingdom to earth instead of asking God to take us away from our problems. It's about seeing God's presence in the midst of our problems here and now versus taking away our problems and kind of saying, beam me up, Scotty, get me to, get me to heaven. No, it's about God's will on earth right here and now. And it's also a reminder about kingdoms. Your kingdom, God's kingdom. See, the reality is every one of us have a kingdom. Your kingdom is where you can exert your will. 
So some of us, the kingdom is is uh, in our jobs, and some of us, it's our homes, and some of us, it's just our room, and some of it's certain relationships. But your kingdom is where you can exert your will. Everyone has a kingdom, right? That's why two-year-olds, they, they have a kingdom, and that's why their favorite words are no and mine, because they're trying to exert their kingdom. And so what Jesus is telling us here in the Lord's Prayer is that it's a reminder to take our kingdom and put it under the reign of God's kingdom, to do his will, your kingdom come, your will be done. It's a reminder to us. And then Jesus continues on with his model. And he says, give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. Where else in the Bible does God provide bread each day? Exodus, manna from heaven, right? It was on the ground in the morning when they woke up. And no matter how much was gathered, there was exactly enough for that day. And then there was exactly enough for the next day. And if anyone tried to store away extra, what would happen? It would rot and would have maggots. So Jesus is bringing to mind uh, the Israelites in the Exodus to us as a reminder that we have a heavenly father that gives us exactly what we need for each and every day. Not more, not less, but he gives us exactly what we need for today. But it's also a hint to something more. In John chapter 6, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he hints to this idea of manna. He says, very truly I tell you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread of life that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then in a couple of verses later, he says, I am the bread of life. So Jesus is the bread of life and it's through him and because of him that we have exactly what we need for today. Then Jesus goes on with the next phrase, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And it's a reminder that God is faithful and he is full of grace. And Jesus, the very one who's speaking this prayer right now is the one who made forgiveness of our sins possible. And so we are called to remind, to remember that and lift that up, that God is a gracious God that forgives us of our sins and doesn't hold that against us. And because of him, we have a fresh start and a new beginning and we can be new creations. And then if that is true, then if we call ourselves his followers, then we must be people who do the same, who extend that same forgiveness towards those who sin against us. And it sets in our minds a reminder of God's forgiveness and calls us to live in the same way towards others. And then he goes on and he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And it is a reminder that because of Jesus' victory on the cross, because of what he has done for us, he has victory over sin and death and the grave and we are no longer prisoners. We are no longer held captive to those things. We can resist that temptation. We can, we can live in a different way because of what Jesus has done for us. And each of these phrases in the Lord's Prayer is packed with meaning and perspective-changing truth about who God is and about our role in his kingdom. And so this model for prayer isn't centered around requests and needs, but the heart of prayer is about connecting our hearts to God. In, in Luke chapter 11, Luke records uh, another one of Jesus' teachings about prayer. And after Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, he gives this uh, parable and illustration. 
He tells a story of a person who uh, has a friend come over at midnight and is needing uh, bread uh, and knocking on the door, but the person is asleep and doesn't want to answer the door. He says, don't bother me. The door's shut. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Uh, but he keeps knocking and keeps knocking and asking for this bread. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend. He says it's, it's the persistent knocking of this person that's going to cause the person to get up and give him this bread. And he goes on and he says, I tell you, he connects the dots and gives this teaching. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will instead give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give? And in this is the key to understanding all of Jesus' teaching about prayer. Because we can, we can read and it's ask and it'll be given, seek and you'll find, knock and it'll be open. And we can be thinking about all of these requests that we have and all these needs that we just want God to answer. But what does it say that he will give? He says, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's not saying that God will say yes to every request that you have and every want that you have. But he will say yes. Every time you seek him, he will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. The heart of prayer is relational. It's about connecting our hearts to God. So does God want us to present our requests and and wants and needs to him in prayer? Yes. But too often in our desire to have God answer our prayers, we make prayer more magical or transactional than biblical. We try to manipulate God to to say things in the right way or to have a certain model or, or phrasing that we think will convince God to say yes to our requests. And doing so, we miss the very heart of prayer because the heart of prayer is about connecting relationally to God. And really, isn't the ability to intimately connect to the creator of the universe way better than a cosmic genie that just simply grants our our wishes? If you seek God, you will find him. When you knock, he opens the door to his presence. And when you ask, He gives you the best gift he could possibly give himself. So what about you? What's the heart behind your prayers? Have your prayers become mechanical? Or or have they become formulaic? Have you been missing the heart of prayer? The challenge for us, maybe a next step for you, is this. What would it look like for you to pray the Lord's Prayer every day this week? not in a rote way or in a rushed way, just repeating the words, but sitting with each phrase and letting the truth in them open your hearts to God's presence. Prayer at the core and heart is relational. It's about connecting our hearts to God. If you seek, you'll find him. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope this episode helps you take your next step in your walk with Christ. If you want to stay up to date on all the latest episodes, be sure to subscribe. And if you found this podcast helpful and you want other people to find it too, the best way to do that is by commenting and rating in whatever podcast platform you listen through. Also, you can get more information on this episode and find other helpful resources by going to walkonpodcast.com.